0: Hello and welcome to Legendary Africa, the podcast where a disembodied voice speaks about African myths, legends, and folklore straight into your ear canal. Status update. I am currently hiding in some kind of marshland. There's strange fumes, greenish waters around my feet, and some very eerie noises. Can you hear that? Also, I think I may have accidentally fallen into your sinuses, and whoo boy, do you have a congestion problem. Also, I appear to have lost the Spinosaurus from earlier, but who knows what else is lurking in these waters? <laughs> if you have a sudden urge to sneeze, that's my fault. I apologize. So, we all know that climate change is real and producing terrible consequences, right? From severe drought and declining water supplies, to insect outbreaks and wildfires, climate change is having apocalyptic effects on the earth. And the latest effect is occurring in the Siberian tundra. According to the Russian Academy of Sciences, escaping methane gas is blowing up the Siberian tundra. In the far north region of Siberia, reports from reindeer herders claimed that an eruption of fire and smoke could be seen on the morning of June 28th. When investigating, scientists photographed a huge crater on the banks of a river. A second crater was also discovered in June, in the Tyumen region of Siberia. The crater was reportedly 30 metres, or 100 feet deep, and 20 metres, or like 68 feet, wide. These craters have reportedly begun emerging since 2013 when the first crater appeared, and since then, nine more have appeared. Initially, many theories were proposed, such as meteorite impacts, the collapse of secret military underground facilities, and even UFO landings. However, scientists have now linked these craters with climate change. Although, they're still struggling to come to one single theory. Some scientists propose that it is due to permafrost melt, which causes large amounts of methane to suddenly release. Now, apparently these sudden releases of gas can sometimes be explosive, which then creates these gigantic craters. The scary thing is that these craters can happen anywhere there's permafrost, so it could even create a crater in a residential settlement. Climate change, people. It's creepy. It also kind of reminds me of that hilarious apocalyptic movie 2012. Have you watched it? Um, it's obviously not scientifically accurate since earthly changes happen super slowly and not all at once like in the movie. But like when the cities start collapsing in 2012, this crater kind of feels like it's slowly beginning to become that. <laughs> So, now that I've totally gone off topic, I really don't know why I started with that. Today's tale is a brilliant one. It's got everything a good story needs deception, bravery, sharp wits, redemption, not to mention a snake king, a courageous hero, an evil vizier, a powerful sultan, and a bittersweet ending. The story was originally told in Swahili, however, the exact geographical origin of the tale is unknown. The only thing we do know is that it originated in East Africa. It has strong Islamic influences, hence the inclusion of the Sultan and the Vizier. So instead of giving you a brief history on a country or nasty groups, as I usually do, before I get into the story, I'm gonna tell you a little bit about what I know about the language Swahili. Swahili also known as Kiswahili, is spoken in the African Great Lakes region, which is a group of lakes which make up the part of the Rift Valley lakes in and around the East African Rift, and in parts of East and Southern Africa, such as Tanzania, Uganda, Rwanda, Burundi, Kenya, some parts of Malawi, Somalia, Zambia, Mozambique, and the Democratic Republic of the Congo. It is the national language of Tanzania, Kenya, the DRC, Uganda, and South Sudan, by 2018, Swahili was introduced into South African schools as an optional language. Now, the Swahili language belongs to the Sabaki branch, which contains languages from the Swahili coast, which is the coast, uh, the coastal area of the Indian Ocean in Southeast Africa. So roughly 30% of Swahili language consists of words learned from other languages, mostly Arabic, but also Persian, Hindustani, Portuguese, and Malay. Now... It's important to understand that, although these words have been incorporated into Swahili, they were not necessary in order to move Swahili from an incomplete language to a complete one. In fact, many of the words loaned from these other languages already had original Swahili equivalents. But Swahili speakers tend to use the loan words, especially in areas where there's a large mix of cultures, for great assimilation. Now, the earliest example of written Swahili dates back to 1711, and that is written to the Portuguese in Mozambique. These letters are now actually preserved in Goa, India. The name Swahili comes from Arabic, meaning off-coasts. And Swahili went through various stages of development, as different stages of colonization occurred. So first, when Arab powers invaded, then when the Portuguese settled, and then when Germany colonized parts of Africa, and of course, when Britain colonized Africa. So when the Arabs settled in Africa, Swahili was written in Arabic script, and was used to promote Islam throughout East Africa. When Germany invaded, the script was changed to the Latin alphabet and then when the British colonized Africa, Swahili as a language was formalized throughout East Africa and was used by missionaries to spread Christianity as a religion. Swahili is especially important to Tanzanians as it was the language used to unite Tanganyika and Zanzibar into Tanzania in 1964 and it also united over 120 groups in Tanzania. And now it's time for our story. The tale begins long, long ago, in a small village, where a poor woman lived with her only child, a boy she named Hassabu. When Hassabu grew older, his mother sent him to school so that he could learn to read. Then she sent him to a shop to learn how to make clothes. But Hassabu wasn't a fan of fabric, so she sent him to the silversmith. But Hassabu wasn't a fan of metal work either. And it went on. His mother kept sending him to learn, and Hasabu kept refusing to learn. His mother, despairing, finally gave in, and let her son stay at home, simply eating and sleeping every day. Then, one day, Hasabu came to his mother and asked her what his father used to do for work when he was alive. Surprised that Hasabu was showing interest, she showed him many old, insect eaten medical books, and explained that his father had been a doctor, and a very good one, one whom the village greatly valued. Hasibu was very interested and began to sift through the crumbling books. Shaking her head, his mother left him. Eventually, Hassebu found a book which was still readable and sat down to read it. He read, and he read, and he read, until one morning, the neighbours came by and asked his mother if they could borrow him for some work. They were woodcutters and needed a strong boy like Hasibu to help them load wood onto donkeys to sell. Hasabu's mother happily agreed, sick of him just reading and reading all day and doing nothing. The entire day, Hasabu and the woodcutters worked. They chopped the wood, tied it into bundles, and loaded it onto the donkeys. For six days, Hasabu helped them, and his mother was glad to see him work. But then, on the seventh day, it rained, and the woodcutters fed for shelter. But Hasabu stayed where he was, comfortable with the cool rain. While he stood in the rain, he absently picked up and dropped stones onto the ground, and soon realised that at a certain point on the floor, the sound was hollow. He called out to the woodcutters, and told them that the ground was hollow and that they should come see. Reluctantly, they walked back into the rain, and listened, as Hasubu demonstrated again the hollow noise that he had heard. We must dig, Hasubu said, and the woodcutters agreed, and dug into the ground with him. Soon, to their great excitement, they discovered a pit full of liquid gold. It was honey. Cheering and celebrating, the woodcutters told Hasubu to go down and pass them the honey which they will sell, and at the end, they would divide the money they get with him. So Hasubu went down, and for three long months, he dug and dug into the honey and passed it up to the men. Finally, there was only a little bit of honey left right at the bottom, so the woodcutters told Hasubu that they will lower him down with a rope, and after he had finished passing the honey to them, they would draw him back up again. So Hasibul agreed, and spent many hours scraping away at the honey. When he asked to be brought back up, he received no answer. He called again, louder, and then again, louder than before. But only his own voice answered him. They have left me behind, Hasibul whispered to himself. And indeed the woodcutters had, For while Hasabu was toiling in the pit. they had whispered amongst themselves and decided to leave Hasabu in the pit, and take his share of the money for themselves, deciding that they would tell his mother that he had been carried away by a lion. They tried to help, but the lion was so ferocious. Laughing softly, they dropped the rope, grabbed the honey, and quickly but softly ran away. Hasabu's mother was distraught and went into mourning, weeping and weeping for her lost boy. Eventually, the woodcutters felt guilty and agreed to bring her food and clothes every month to repent for their cruelty to her son. Meanwhile, Hasabu had decided to explore the pit in the hope that he may find a way out of his predicament. He found more honey which he ate to sustain himself and continued exploring the tunnels that ran underneath the pit. He did this for many days and for many nights. One day, as Hasabu rested on a rock and ate some honey, A large scorpion fell near his feet, and jumping up, he crushed it with a rock, fearing that it would sting him. But staring at the scorpion, he suddenly realized that it had saved him. The scorpion had not appeared out of thin air, but must have come from a hole somewhere nearby. So Hasebu felt around the walls and eventually found a small hole from which light shone through. Grinning triumphantly, he took out his knife and dug at the hole until it was large enough for him to wiggle through. With a lot of effort, Hasabu climbed up through the hall and emerged into the bright sunlight. Blinking rapidly, his eyes soon adjusted to the scene in front of him. A large open space was before him, and a long path wound its way further and further until he lost sight of it. Exhausted, hungry and thirsty, Hasabu forced himself to walk along the path, desperately hoping that food and water could be found at the end of it. Finally, stumbling along, his eyes half open, he came upon a grand and beautiful palace, its large golden door standing open. Inside was a large hall with marble walls and coloured cloths hanging. In the middle sat a throne, bejeweled with precious stones, and a large sofa with the softest cushions he had ever felt. Falling onto the sofa, he fell fast asleep. Hasubu was so fast asleep that he slipped through the sound of drums, and the sound of a large crowd coming into the courtyard and entering the hall. The crowd stood over him, and the guards who had marched in drew their swords, ready to kill him, but a deep and smooth voice stopped them. Leave him. Place me on the chair instead. Then wake him gently. So the guards obeyed and gently shook Hasubu awake. Hasubu softly moaned and blarily bent open his eyes. His eyes widened as he took on the scene before him. Dozens and dozens of snakes stood before him, upright as they rested on their gleaming coils. Many of them were dressed in fine robes, others were in the way of soldiers and held swords gripped by their tails, and one... One sat on the throne dressed in the finest robes Hasubu had ever seen, and he knew instantly that he was sitting in front of a king. ''Which king do I see before me?'' Hasubu asked, and the grand snake darted his tongue out in amusement. ''The king of the snakes, and this is my palace. Who are you, and where do you come from?'' the king asked. But Hasibu could not remember anything aside from his name. And so the snake king bade him stay with him in the palace and ordered his servants to fetch fruit from the forest nearby and water from the spring for Hasebu, his guest. Many days passed and Hassebu rested and feasted with the king, who grew fond of the boy. But soon, Hassebu began to remember what had happened to him. And with a great shock, he remembered his mother, who sat mourning in her house. Going to the king, he begged him to allow him to return home to his mother, but the snake king refused, for he believed that if Hasibbal returned home, he would bring great evil upon the king. Hasibbu promised he would not and begged the king for many days until at last the great snake gave in and promised to send Hasibbu home on one condition: Do not go to the bath-houses, Hassebu the king ordered, for if you do, great harm will befall me. And so Hassebu promised, and happily returned home to his mother with a small escort of the king's guards. His mother rejoiced at the sight of her son, and for three days Hassebu remembered his promise to the snake king, and stayed away from the bathhouses, despite the immense heat. But eventually an extreme heat wrapped itself around his village, and Hassebu could take it no more. He went to the bathhouses, and lowered himself into the cool water, forgetting of his promise to the king. What Hasubu didn't know was that the sultan of his region was very ill, and the vizier had convinced him that the only way for him to recover was to eat the flesh of the snake king who, according to a prophecy, could only be found by a man with a strange mark on his chest. So the sultan sent his men to the bathhouses to spy on the men who came there. And while Hassebu was cooling himself in the baths, the sultan's men walked around in disguise and finally spotted him, identifying him by the strange mark on his chest. Grabbing him, the men dragged Hasubu before the vizier, who demanded that he lead them to the snake king, but Hasubu claimed that he did not know what he was talking about. The vizier, however, did not believe him, and had him beaten and then whipped. <laughs> Hasubu refused to talk, and so the beatings and the whippings continued until his back was torn to shreds. Finally, Hasubu could no longer take the pain, and agreed to take them to the palace of the Snake King. When Hassebu arrived at the palace, the Snake King received him, already knowing the reason for his return. Hasubu fell to his knees and explained to the king that he tried his best, but the vizier's men had tortured him into revealing the king's location, and then he gingerly took off his shirt and revealed his torn back, and the Snake King felt great sadness as he looked at his friend. Who beat you like this, my boy? The king asked, and Hasubu told him that it was the cruel vizier. Then my fate is sealed, and I am dead. You must carry me to him, Hasubu. The king replied and slithered off his throne, carefully wrapping himself around Hasubu and resting on his shoulders. Hasubu sadly carried the king back to the vizier, every step sending pain through his back, and every step reminding him of the king's impending doom. While they journeyed, the Snake King imparted the following advice to his young friend. When we are brought before the vizier, he will have me killed and cooked. You must take three vials. In the first vial, take some of the water in which I am cooked and put that aside. The vizier will soon ask you to drink this after the sultan is cured, but be careful not to. In the second vial, put more of the water and drink that vial yourself. It will grant you great knowledge and power. Then, in the third vial, take more of the water and give it to the sultan. He will be cured. Then, when the vizier comes, tell him that you have drunk from the vial as you wished, and then give him some of the water to drink. He will die, and you will be at peace. And so, when they arrived at the sultan's palace, the vizier had the king killed and cooked, and ordered Hasabu to drink the first vial of water but Hasubu remembered his friend's last words, and pretended to drink it. Soon the sultan was cured, and the vizier drank the water, thinking that he would be granted great power. Instead, he choked, and died. Hasubu went on to become a grand physician, better than his father, much to his mother's delight, and worked at the sultan's palace, curing many sick people. The sultan himself valued him greatly, and Hasubu had a good life, but every day, he would think of the king of the snakes, and shed a tear for his lost friend. What a tale! The poor snake king and poor Hassebu. I do have one question, though. What the fuck happened to those woodcutter bastards? I mean, they appear to have gotten away with everything very nicely, while poor Hassebu and the snake king were treated so cruelly. I mean, okay. The snake king definitely got the worst end of the stick. I mean, he literally got cooked and eaten. Also, disclaimer, please do not kill and eat snakes. They have no medicinal properties and will certainly not cure you of any ailment you may have. Snakes will not cure you of corona. My main source of this tale was from the Mythology and Folklore UN textbook. Before we move on, I have a brilliant promo for you from the Murder Mystery podcast, which is a new favourite of mine. Have a listen. Are you captivated by all of the different types of mythology our world has to offer? Are you curious about the paranormal, the macabre, and the unknown? Do you love gods, goddesses, and ghosties? Do you love cryptids, creatures, and creepy crawlies? Each week we travel to a new country to learn more about the stories that are told. So grab a cocktail and head over to wherever you get your podcasts and join us every Sunday for new episodes of Murder Mystery. So, as usual, I have some really great podcast recommendations for you guys. The first one being The Presidencies of the United States. So, the description of this podcast says This podcast is devoted to exploring presidential history from the founding of the office in 1789 on through the present day. I plan to take a systematic approach to both the people and the events that have shaped and reshaped each administration and the office in general. Now this is a brilliant podcast for history lovers and especially those passionate about the history of the United States of America. I think the host really does a great job not only of presenting the complex history of the US in an engaging manner, but he also presents excellent research on the topic. The use of quotes from primary sources such as letters and papers lends a professional presence to the podcast. This is definitely a must-listen in my opinion. Find the Presidencies of the United States podcast on Twitter at Presidencies89 and Instagram at Presidencies Podcast and it's also on Facebook. The next podcast is Our Journal. The description of this pod is Our Journal is a podcast featuring a mother and daughter duo from South Africa. They talk about the things they do together, challenges they face each day, and life in general. Molochadi, 35, and Nail, 13 come from a lineage of matriarchs and believe in rising up and doing it for oneself, fulfilling one's purpose in life and choosing happiness every day. Join this pair for fun tips on how to maintain healthy relationships and as they delve into topical issues through their different lenses, pun intended. Now this podcast is an old favorite of mine. And yes, I may be biased because it's a fellow South African pod, and we may be BFFs, but I'm being completely honest here. Our journal is an amazing podcast, and it's the best mother-duo-led podcast out there. Molo and Neo talk about important and relevant topics each episode, such as periods and consent between parents and children. Now, this podcast is exactly what we need in South Africa, which is still in some communities very conservative about issues like periods. And I love that Molochadi and Neo are having these crucial conversations with each other. Give them a listen. You won't regret it. Find our journal on Twitter, at Our Pod. As well as on Facebook and Instagram at Our Journal Podcast. The last podcast I want to recommend is Into the Portal, the description. Into the Portal is a conversational, investigative podcast hosted by Andrew McKay and Amber Ray. Since 2018, ITP has been uncovering the highest strangeness of our world. Come with us and dive into historical mysteries, obscure monsters, hidden humanoids, classic Fortune legends, dark paranormal unknowns, and so much more. Into the Portal is your gateway to the bazaar. ITP was one of the very first podcasts I listened to when we first started Legendary Africa. I was daunted by the host's witty and engaging discussions, and the excellent sound effects blended seamlessly into each episode. They talk about so many different amazing stories, including the Kongamoto. I talked about this creature in episode 12 of Legendary Africa, and I really enjoyed ITP's take on it. Go listen and subscribe. Find Into the Portal on Twitter at Into the Portal1. And they're also on Facebook and Instagram at Into the Portal Podcast. All of these amazing podcasts are available on all major podcasting platforms. Please go listen, subscribe, and support their great work by sharing their podcasts and commenting on social media. And if you can, supporting any Patreons. So that wraps up today's episode. I have been your host, the Shira, the disembodied voice you can't escape, and Legendary Africa is produced by the infamous Hestia the Dog, and we have an unpaid intern, as you know, Athena the Doggo. Thank you for listening and joining me today, and I hope you enjoyed it. This week has been hard. I find it quite difficult that I struggle this week, but turning out a new episode really motivates me every week to keep doing what I'm doing and to keep going. So, really, thank you for listening, and thank you for joining me. Remember to subscribe to Legendary Africa wherever you listen, iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, wherever, and to share with your friends, family, and assorted pets. Also, if you enjoy the podcast and want to share that love, please go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes for Apple users and tracer for Android users. I always like to give a shout out to my reviewers, so please just send me a screenshot of the review, or even just let me know that you reviewed the podcast. Uh, we also have a YouTube channel uh, please go check that out. I usually put on the actual episodes, and, um, Charlie and I used to do actual videos there, like, we did a video on South African slang, and we did a how, how well do you know, um, I think, your co-host? How well do you know your co-host? Yeah, that's what it was. Uh, I really enjoyed those. I have not as yet gotten back to actual, um, videos, but I'm hoping I will soon. So, uh, please keep an eye on that. In the meantime, whoever listens to podcasts on YouTube, please go listen to it there. And we have a website, which I constantly update. On the website, you can, um, find out our new episodes, you can look at old episodes, you can look at upcoming episodes, and, of course, you can listen to the latest episode on the actual site. There's also a blog where there's actually two articles that Rishali wrote. Please go check that out. One is recommending, um, African fantasy books. and I will be writing other articles there as well. There's also a forum, so do feel free to engage with that. Oh, and also, there is a tribute page to Rishalia. You know, there's a video, and I started writing some uh fun facts or, or things about Rishalia on there. And I would really love it if you let to contribute to that page, and we can sort of create together. So, if you want to say anything about, you know, what you did on a podcast, or... If you knew a little bit about her, if you talked to her, or, you know, you just want to send some sort of message to her, send it to me at staylegendarypod at gmail.com, and I'd love to put it out there on the website. All links can be found in the episode description below. Check us out on social media, at legendarypod on Instagram, and at legendarypod1 on Twitter. I'll see you next Saturday with an all-new ancient myth, legend, or tale from our beautiful continent of Africa. Until then, tell your loved ones you love them. Thank the angel on your shoulder, stay safe, stay sexy, and stay legendary. Bye!